Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time to come and study your word again. Thank you, Lord, for seeing us safely through this past week. And Lord, I thank you for the many praises that you've given to us and the blessings that we can share even here amongst us, amongst each other as we're online. And I just ask that you would please be with us now as we study, that you would guide us with your Holy Spirit, that you'd lead us, O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to be continuing our series Jesus' encounters, as we've been going through different encounters that Christ has had with people. Anyways, we are going to be continuing actually from last week. So if you've not had a chance to listen to last week's sermon, please make sure you go back. It's on the Facebook page there, or if you're on YouTube, you'll definitely see it there in the playlist. And, um, you know, we looked at last week about how Jesus fed the 5,000. And that was that previous encounter. And it was found in all four Gospels. And at the end of the encounter, everyone was so amazed with what Christ did. as And He was able to feed 5,000 men besides women and children with just five barley loaves and two small fishes. And there was 12 baskets full left over. And what we see at the end of the encounter, let's pick it up there in John chapter 6 and verse 14 and 15. The Bible says this, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And so because of this one act, because of this miracle that he did in feeding the 5,000, they were ready to make him king. They were ready to crown him king and go and fight against the Romans and take back their nation so that they could be independent again. But what did Jesus do to avoid this act, to avoid them making him king? Well, we continue reading, pardon me, we continue reading in Matthew 14, 22. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So first, he put the disciples in a boat sent them off. And you'll notice that the title of our care group study this evening is Jesus's encounter with the disciples on the sea. And you know, we've had this sort of encounter before. We, we studied how Jesus was in the boat with the disciples and he was asleep because he was exhausted from the day's work. And when they got into the boat, there, be, there came a big storm. And yet we see another encounter that Jesus is going to have this evening with the disciples on the sea. Well, he sent the disciples off and, you know, they were also involved in trying to make him king. It wasn't just the crowd. They were probably the principal ones that were involved in trying to make Jesus king because, after all, they were the 12 disciples and they also had misunderstood Jesus' mission as well. So, you know, they, 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 pushed, they pushed the crowd to, to try to make him king and Jesus, he puts the disciples in a boat sends them off, and he turns around to the crowd, to the multitudes that had already been fed, and he sends them away. He sends them home. 
breaks up this situation before it can culminate into something greater. But what happens next? Matthew 14 and verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. So Jesus, he goes up into the mountain alone to pray. The disciples have already gone off onto the, onto the sea in the boat. The multitudes have already left. Now Jesus has some quiet time alone. Finally, after a long day's work. Can you imagine? You know, sometimes as parents, we don't find that time during the day while, while the kids are awake and they're running around and they're busy and they require constant attention, isn't it? But Jesus finally, he finally has the time alone to himself. And he doesn't have a nap. No, he takes time to pray. Pray for what? Probably for the people that misunderstood his mission. Probably most likely for the disciples who had misunderstood his mission. They had walked so close with him for a while already, and yet they were still so slow to catch the mission of why Jesus came to this earth. But let's keep going, shall we? Matthew chapter 14 and verse 24, while Jesus is praying, what is happening on the sea? But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. So the disciples, they come face to face with another storm, face to face with something that would shake their faith, but probably It wasn't as bad as the previous one that they had faced with Jesus when he was sleeping in the boat and they cried out to him and said, Jesus, don't you care that we perish? Remember that one? But this storm had a purpose. It was to divert their attention away from wanting Jesus to make, from wanting to make Jesus king. And you know, the disciples, they were instrumental in doing that. And when he broke it all up, when he sent the disciples home and he pushed all the multitudes away, they weren't very happy. They were disappointed. They were probably upset. They were probably thinking that Jesus, he didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know politics well enough. He misunderstood what should happen in this day and age. Jesus must have forgotten that they were under Roman rulership. And so when their plans were broken up by Christ, they weren't all too happy at all. And Jesus didn't explain anything to them. He just sent them packing. And before they could continue brooding over their disappointment, before they could let their disappointment get the better of them, guess what? God sent a storm into the sea. They came face to face with another storm that would make them concentrate and focus and seemingly fight for their life. But let's continue reading first, shall we? In Mark chapter 6, verse 47 and 48, parallel story. Look at what it says here, Mark 6, 47 and 48. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land, and he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary to them. You got to remember, Jesus, he was not in the boat with the disciples. He did not leave with the disciples to get into the boat. He sent the disciples away. He sent the multitudes away. He was on the land and he went up into the mountain to pray. But he could see all that was happening to his beloved disciples. 
Isn't it a comforting thought, friends, to know that even when we're in the midst of trial and danger, that God is watching and He has His perfect timing. He has a reason to allow us to go through all these problems, to go through all these trials, to go through all these storms in life. He has a reason and He's watching. He's not forgotten. He's not slumbering or sleeping. He's not taking a vacation while we are in trouble. No, Jesus has His reason. And let's continue, shall we? Matthew chapter 14 and verse 25, the Bible says this, And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. Finally, Christ comes out to them, walking out to them. He's walking on water. He's walking on the sea in the midst of all the billows and the waves and the wind. Christ comes walking out. At what time? Did you notice there? The text said the fourth watch of the night. That's when Jesus comes walking out to them. When is the fourth watch of the night? At what time is the fourth watch? watch of the night. You see, the Jews in Jesus' days, they divided the night into four sections, or should I say four watches, from sunrise, pardon me, from sunset to sunrise. So that typically was from 6 p.m. all the way to 6 a.m. So that gives us 12 hours, and if there are four watches, that means each watch would have three hours each. The first watch would begin from 6 p.m. all the way to around 9 p.m. The second watch, it would go from 9 p.m. to midnight. The third watch would go from midnight to, let's say, about 3 a.m. And the fourth watch, the one that we are particularly interested in, it would go from 3 a.m. to about 6 a.m. And so, look, you got to understand this. Jesus comes walking out to them in the fourth watch of the night. And let's say, you know, at evening time, um, you know, when when the disciples were ready to send the 5,000 people away before they fed them, that's when Jesus decided to feed them, right? And so it took a few hours. So let's say they got into the boat at about 7 or 8 p.m., all right? So even from 8 p.m., or even if we say 9 p.m., right, they get into the boat and they encounter this storm. They are on the sea from about 8 to 9 p.m. until at least 3 a.m. Do you understand that? For at least six to seven hours, they've been toiling in the sea. They've been in the boat. They've been fighting this storm for about six to seven hours. They must have been exhausted just trying to stay alive. Six hours. But you know, Jesus knew that they wouldn't perish from this storm. He knew that they needed this diversion in their mind. He knew that they needed this time to get their mind off of wanting to make Jesus king, being disappointed, not being able to follow through with their own plans. Jesus knew that they needed all of this. And you know, friends, God is merciful sometimes this way. He allows trouble to come in our lives so that we don't keep focusing on the wrong thing. You see, the disciples, they were so upset having their plans to be broken up by Christ that they were brooding over this as they got into the boat. And so God sent them a storm 
so that they could focus on something else. Sometimes our disappointments make us so laser focused that we can't do anything else and we're focused on the wrong thing. So guess what? God in His mercy, He gives us a small trouble just so that we can learn to let go of that disappointment. Do you see that? This is what is happening to the disciples at least for the better part of six to seven hours. And after that, 3 a.m. at the very least, you know, the fourth watch was from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. We really don't know how long, but let's just start with the earliest time, hey? 3 a.m. Now Jesus sees that they're ready to learn again, that they're willing to to come to Him again, that they're ready to humble themselves and ask for help again. So now Christ comes out walking to them on the water. And he, He had to come to try to teach them and to explain to them the right way. But, you know, He didn't come straight away in the boat. They probably would not have listened. So He needed to give them time. Let's continue. Matthew 14 26 to 29. Let's read what the Bible says here. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. You know, Christ uses an unusual method to come out to them. He simply walks on water towards them. First, they're afraid. But Jesus immediately comforts them and says, you know what? Don't need to be afraid. It's me. It's not a ghost. You haven't seen an evil spirit or something like that. And he replies to them that it's him. And this is where Peter steps in and says, Jesus, if that's really you, bid me to come out to you where you are on the water. You know, Peter, he is known to be outspoken in the Bible. And more often than not, it's not worked in his favor. Saying things before speaking talking before really having a good thought about it. But in this instance, he speaks very quickly. And you guess what? Because of that, he is the only human being, apart from Christ, of course, that can lay claim to the fact that he has ever walked on water. This is, this is, the, you know, this is the blessing of, you know, Not the blessing, I'd say, but this is the benefit that Peter had at least in this instance for being outspoken and speaking quickly. Now look, what is the purpose of Christ allowing it? You got to understand, right? Jesus did not allow anything just for for fun. You know, he wasn't going to let Peter walk on water just so that he could boast. There was going to be an object lesson that would come out from this. Why is it that Jesus allowed Peter to walk out to him on the water? Why did he allow this? Remember, Jesus had just broken up their little party in wanting to make him king, right? They're disappointed. They're not so happy with Christ, maybe even to the point of 
being annoyed or angry at him. And not only did he break up their plans, but he tells them to get into a little boat and leave. And because of him, for the past six to seven hours, they've been battling this storm, all because of Jesus. It was his thought, his idea for them to get into the boat. So if it was me, right, as time wore on and I'm in the midst of the storm and I'm, I'm not gaining victory over it, we're not getting out of the storm, out, the, the longer I had to fight the storm, the more angry and annoyed I would be, especially at Christ, right? If He was the Messiah, where is He? If He was the Messiah, how did He, did he not know that there was a storm coming? Why is He not helping us? But now Christ walks on the water out to them. And he didn't come rowing out to them or, or come swimming out to them. He used a supernatural method, walking to them on water, something that had never been done before. Why? Well, first, before getting to Peter, he needed to show the disciples that even though he did not allow them to make him king, he was still God. He was still more than human. He was still divine. He wanted to show to the disciples that he had the power from heaven. Yes, the power that he had used to feed the 5,000 with five barley loaves and two small fishes. They were not mistaken. They did not misunderstand. They weren't seeing things. Yes, Jesus had that power that he had used a few hours earlier to feed the 5,000. He had still this power even now as he came walking out to them on water. They were not mistaken in wanting to make him king in a sense, to, to exalt him and to put him in a high pedestal, but they had misunderstood his mission. For Jesus did not come as a conqueror of the Romans and the conqueror of the world to subdue all the kings. He came to conquer the world from its sin. And so even though they had misunderstood, he had to show them first, I still had the power. But now, how about Peter? So not only does Jesus walk out to them on water, but with his own word, with his own power, he sustains another person to walk on water as well. Christ demonstrates to his disciples his power that he is able to give them. And they were not mistaken as to him being more than human. They were mistaken that he should have been king. Well, rather, should not have made him king, right? They shouldn't have tried to crown him king. But yes, he was more than human, more than a prophet. So he comes to the disciples, walking on water, to instill faith in their hearts again in him as Lord and Saviour. And you know, friends, sometimes it's through our own misunderstanding of Christ that we fail or become disheartened or begin to doubt. And you know, sometimes when we study the story about Peter walking on water, we just think it's a really cool act, not realizing the reason as to why Jesus did it. But you know, God is so merciful because it wasn't his fault that the disciples misunderstood. It was the disciples they were the ones that misunderstood his mission. But now, Peter begins to walk out to Jesus on water. 
And what happens? Well, we know this. This is story is one of the more famous stories in the Bible, isn't it? Well, let's read it anyway. Matthew 14, 30 to 31. And when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And this is speaking of Peter. He cried and beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? So step by step, Peter begins to walk out to Jesus on the water. Starts to get a little bit more self-confident maybe, and just when he thought he had the hang of it, he looks back to the disciples to see if they're watching, and then instead of setting his eyes firmly fixed on Christ, he begins to let go of his hold. His pride swells up within him, and thoughts of self make him focus now on the waves, the wind, the storm, which they had been battling for six to seven hours. He sees his troubles and not Christ anymore. And so he's probably thinking to himself at this point, what was I thinking to walk out in the middle of this storm? And so he begins to sink. And in the instance he begins to sink, he cries out to Christ. Christ is right there and catches a hold of him. And without even two blinks, not only does Jesus grab him, but then they are in the boat again. But you know what? When they are in the boat, Jesus says to Peter what? Oh thou, let me show you. Oh thou, at the very end there, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? He helps Peter to see that it was because of his doubt, his littleness in his faith, that he was sinking, that he was not enabled to walk on water anymore. Definitely an important lesson for him and even for all of us that are listening or reading in. The challenge for us is not the magnitude of the storm, you see, friends. It's not how big the storm is that, 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 that kind of bing brings in the challenge. It is not because some people's storms are bigger than others that some leave Christ and some don't. It's the size of our faith. You see, Jesus said to Peter, Why do you doubt? Why are you so little in faith? It's not because the storm was so big that Peter sunk. It wasn't so big that the disciples were stuck in it and were almost probably ready to perish. It was because of the size of their faith. The, the doubt because the storm the, the, the doubt, pardon me, was bigger than their faith. The storm was bigger than their faith. You know, it's not because, oh, this person went through this much and that's why they left church. But no, you, you didn't go through as big as a trouble or big as a problem. That's why you're still in the church. If you had gone through what this person went through, you would have probably left church as well. No, that's not the reason. No one's gone through bigger trials than Christ himself. But even when you look at other people in the Bible, like Job, lost all his money, lost his 10 children, yet he still clung to Christ, even though his wife told him to curse God and die. You know, it's not the size of our trouble that makes us leave church. 
It's the size of our faith or the lack of the size of it. You see, Christ has said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. You know, what's very interesting here is that God says He does not give us temptation or trouble beyond what we can handle. And that that seems to contradict what we're studying here and what I'm telling you. It doesn't seem to harmonize with what I'm saying then, doesn't it? If God doesn't give us more than we can handle, why then would He give us storms that are bigger than our faith? Why does it seem that he gives us storms that are too big for some people that they end up walking away, right? Well, the answer is simple. It's because we neglect to cultivate our faith that the storms of life actually catch up to us and sweep us off our feet. You see, it's because we neglect the secret place of prayer. It's because we neglect our our personal walk and devotion with Christ that when we come to the life that God wants us to live, we're not able to live up to it. It's because we don't get the strength from Christ. We don't come and get the power from Christ. You see, Peter was enabled to walk out on the water because of the power that God gave him from that single word, come. Peter had more than enough faith in that word in that instance. But because he had been brooding with the disciples over his disappointments, his faith was not strong enough to keep him afloat. Do you see that? And so he began to sink. It's because of the time that we misuse and we we spend foolishly on many other things rather than building and strengthening our faith that we, like Peter, sink in the storm. If the disciples had been praying in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was near the end of his life, just before he was about to be crucified, just before he was about to be taken off as prisoner, if the disciples had not been sleeping but had been praying, they probably all would have been there in the trial. They probably all all would have been there when Jesus was at the cross, when he needed the comfort of his friends and his family. They would have been there, but instead they fled. They could not handle the storm. And so often it is like that with us as well. We're lackadaisical and lazy in our spiritual life and our walk with Christ. And all it takes is one wave to sweep us away. Friends, God does not give us more than we are able with His help. In our strength, we cannot do it, but we can do all things. We can face all trials through Christ who strengthens us if we never let go of Him if we learn to build and strengthen our faith each and every day. And so when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 about Christ not allowing anything to come into our lives that we can't handle, then we have a clear indicator as to where we stand in our faith as well. And maybe Christ is saying to you this evening, why did you doubt? Where is your faith? 
Maybe your faith is shaky. Maybe you're having trouble and disappointments and you're ready to let go of God and let go of the church and let go of your whole faith. But it's because you've not been giving Him a fair chance. You've not been building properly. And bit by bit, the storms that have been blowing against you have been eroding your faith away. And so Christ, He's now in the boat. He's speaking to, to Peter but really in the hearing of all the disciples. Mark, uh, pardon me, Matthew chapter 14 and verse 32 and 33. And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. You know, this is the second time that Christ has calmed a storm for the disciples. This is the second time. Once again, he gives evidence of his divinity, that he was more than human. They themselves declare that truly he is the Son of God. But this question that Christ spoke to Peter when he was in the boat after saving him from drowning had a greater implication than for just Peter alone, friends. You see, when he said to Peter just before coming the storm, where is your faith? Why did you doubt? It was also for the disciples to hear as well because they all had misunderstood Christ. He did not come to, to be the ruler of the world, to be a king, a king of the Jews, but it did not mean that he was anything less than that. In fact, he was more. He was God in the flesh. He was, as they said he was, the Son of God. But because he had pushed the crowd away, because he had put the disciples in a boat and sent them off packing, he unfoiled all their plans, they began to doubt. They began to doubt Christ. They began to doubt that he was the one that was promised in the prophecies and in the Old Testament. They began to doubt that he was God. And so he had to prove himself to them again. And we know this because of what we read in Mark chapter 6 here. Mark chapter 6, 51 and 52. Look at this. And he went up unto them in the ship, and the wind ceased. So this is that same instance after Peter was brought into the ship, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Their heart was what? It was hardened, you see, because they had forgotten of the miracle of the loaves. And because of what Christ had done at the very end, they rejected Him. They began to doubt Him. They allowed those doubts to fester in their heart and let go of their hold of Christ. So not only did they get angry and doubt Christ, they even forgot the miracle that He had just performed in their presence of feeding 5,000 people. And so what does he have to do again? Another miracle. Christ has to prove himself all over again. You know, we get a look into the hearts of the disciples. They're just like us. And not that it's not that we 
we should be excused from this. But friends, I just want you to understand that when we have disappointed hopes in Christ and we're ready to let go of our faith, we're just being human because the disciples were like this as well. And I want you to give God a second chance. Don't just throw off your faith. Don't let go of Him just because you're disappointed, because your prayer wasn't answered in the way that you were expecting, because Christ did not come in the, at the time that you needed Him to come because God did not help you when you felt that you deserved and needed help? No, friends, don't let go. Christ, He comes walking out to the disciples on the water. A miracle. Not the ordinary, ah, rowing. No, he, he comes and walks out and calms the storm before their very eyes. Again. Again. How patient Jesus is with us. So slow to believe, isn't it? So easy to let go of our faith. So quick to doubt. All because we misunderstand God's will for us. Friends, are you tempted to let go of God this evening? Maybe you didn't even click to listen to this sermon and someone else and you're sitting there. You don't even want to be there. Maybe you're ready to let go already and walk away and give up. But I'm asking you to open your eyes again. I want you to see that you're not the first to be disappointed. But maybe, just maybe the reason why you're disappointed is because Christ did not answer your prayer. He's not come through the way that you've expected. But how many times does Christ have to prove himself over to us? How many miracles do we have to see? You know, we ride this emotional roller coaster with Christ. Yes, I am love with you. Oh God, where are you? I'm so angry at you. Oh yes, thank you Jesus for blessing me. And we go up and down and up and down. Not because Christ is not there one minute and there the next, but because the storms in our life just blow us this way and that way. Like James, it says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways and we're unstable in our faith. But how many stories and sermons do we need to hear and listen to before our faith will anchor itself in Christ and not allow anything to blow us away? And you see, friends, that's the thing. It's not a one-time experience. It's an everyday experience. It's a lifelong commitment, moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. This is what you call sanctification. When, when Christ cleanses us from our sins, that's justification. That's an instance. But to stay clean, or in this setting, or what we're talking about, to keep our hold on Christ, it's a moment by moment. Not allowing to ride so high that, ah, you're ready to make Him king, and then somehow you get disappointed and you get so low that you're ready to throw everything away and you forget the miracle of the loaves. And you know, this is not the first time Jesus has calmed the storm with just His word. The disciples had seen so many miracles, but yet they were so slow to believe because they themselves were not consistently walking with Christ. 
Victory, it's not assured the next day. Do you know that? Victory is a moment by moment. We got to learn to commit our ways to God each day as long as we live. We cannot, you know, we, we can, pardon me, we can be preaching the gospel one day and healing people and casting out demons and then the very next day betraying the Son of God. It's not about the greatness of the works that we do, but the deepness of our relationship with Jesus, the depth of our, our foundation and how we will be hid in with Christ in the time of storm. Friends, the, the situations that happen in our life just reveal the times that we are or that we are not spending with Jesus. The most effective time that we have is not about coming to church. Yes, I hope that you can build your sermon by listening to, to the sermon that uh, build your sermon. I, I hope that you can build your faith by listening to a sermon like this. But it's not just those times. It's not just once a week. But moment by moment, we got to build our faith on Jesus. And so when the storms come, they don't move us. They don't make us angry. They don't make us disappointed. When God does not answer our prayers because we're walking with Him and we know Him, we know that He will answer at the right time. So we're willing to be patient to wait. Yes, we, we, we wouldn't be human if we didn't feel a little bit disappointed. But not to the extent that we just are ready to throw off everything. Do you see that? And so this evening, I want to encourage you, friends, to build your faith. For Christ is asking you, why are you doubting? Where is your faith? If you had faith in me, he's saying, you would never let go. Yes, you might cry some tears. You might feel a bit of heartache. But you trust me. Trust me to carry you through the storm. And so today, if you're facing some disappointments, I want to encourage you, hold on. For Jesus, He has His perfect timing. He has His perfect plan. Trust Him. That's what faith is. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust human inventions. Don't trust even to human counsel. Don't even trust to human experience. For God says, I will make a new way but you trust me. You trust me. Just as I made a new way by walking to you on the water, you trust me that I will hold you and I will carry you through these storms. So let's continue to build our faith, friends. Let's not let go. Let's trust God to the very end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Oh Lord, please forgive us because it's so easy that we, we, we let go, so often that we let go whenever trials, little trials come our way. Oh Lord, please help us. Help us to build our faith. Help us to strengthen our faith. Write your words upon our hearts, oh Lord. Teach us what it means to really pray and to seek you with all our hearts. Help us not to just be a surface Christian allowing little things to blow us one way and the other. Help us, Father, to trust you in the sunshine and even in the rain. 
in the, even when it when 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 things don't seem to be going our way help us not to let go oh father strengthen our faith today help us to make that commitment to walk more consistently with you we pray in jesus name amen this media was brought to you by audioverse a website dedicated to spreading god's word through free sermon audio and much more if you would like to know more about audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons please visit www.audioverse.org.